the Jeep Grand Cherokee 4xe. It's electrified. So you can boogie woogie woogie into the forest. Boogie. Boogie woogie woogie through the mud. Or boogie woogie woogie to work, where you boogie woogie woogie down the hall to your boss's office to tell him you quit. Then you boogie woogie woogie to the elevator as he boogie woogie woogies after you, begging, please, take me with you. The electrified Jeep Grand Cherokee 4xe. Learn more at jeep.com. Jeep is a registered trademark of FCA US LLC. I've confronted hundreds of men over two decades. I have been in television for 24 years. I just came to get something to eat. And I have very seldom been at a loss for words. Sir, I just came to get something to eat. Men online looking for children to sexually assault. What's the motive here? It's, Explain to me. I'm no, not you're right. No, you're right. It's stupid. It's, it's not. It's an no. illegal thing. Yeah, I know. I did a stupid thing. Men from all walks of life. A doctor, a teacher, a clergyman. You sent pornographic pictures through the mail. Okay, that's a federal offense right there. You know I'm in trouble, and I know I'm in trouble. I tried to get into their heads and understand why. Me too, we have tonight. Uh, I, I want to know who you are. I want to know a little bit more about you first. Can I eat first? Sure, go ahead. Let's see if any of this sounds familiar while you enjoy your pizza. And ultimately, make sure they face justice. You ask her if she's a virgin. I ask everybody all kinds of stuff. It's just talk. You ask her if she's horny. What's wrong with that? You ask if she does anal. It's a question. Question. Who are they? Have they tried to prey on other children? And where are they now? These are the predators I've caught. I'm Chris Hansen. If you or someone you know is experiencing a mental health or substance use crisis, call 988. 988 provides free, confidential, compassionate support 24-7 in your phone's local area code. You are not alone in crisis. There is hope. There are a number of phrases, passages from transcripts of chats and things uttered during my interviews with predators that have become somewhat iconic over the past 17 years. One of them is, hey, boo. And the other is, I just came here to watch the football game, the Steelers and the Ravens play. Both of those things came from one predator, John Dupee. John Dupee surfaced in our Fairfield, Connecticut investigation. It was the fall of 2015, and we had set up in a home in a beautiful neighborhood not far from I-95. In the course of three and a half days, 11 men surfaced in that investigation, including the iconic Jeff Sokol. Of course, one of them was also John Dupee. He said he was 30 online, but he was actually 40. And he was chatting with not one, but two different decoys. Now, if you'll remember, we didn't work with perverted justice in this particular investigation. We had Tetrid Core made up of some former perverted justice volunteers and, and some who had joined along the way. Very good at what they did. And we had set up at a home that actually belonged to an acquaintance of mine. And we rented it for the period of the investigation. 
We worked with the Fairfield Police Department, a very professional police department, then led by Gary McNamara, who's the chief who I'd come to know in a previous investigation involving seniors being scammed online. It was an ideal location, actually. A nice home with a big garage adjacent to it, which made it easy for the Fairfield police to set up there. So after I was finished with my interview, the predator could be let outside and arrested without much fanfare in the neighborhood. Always a concern when we do one of these investigations. We drew men from as far away as Boston, the different boroughs of New York, and nearby Fairfield. And that's where John Dupee came from. He was chatting with a decoy named Bailey, who identified herself as 13 years old. And he got graphic pretty quickly. He asked her if he could be the first to have sex with her, wanted her to feel him inside, wanted to make her quote unquote come. And during a phone conversation, he talked about quote unquote tossing her salad, which apparently is code name for oral sex. Anyway, he left very little to the imagination. The transcripts are graphic. The phone calls are graphic. He said that he wanted the girl to call him Boo. And so some of the conversations would start off, hey, Boo. And that line was used by the on-site decoy when Dupee arrived. I used it later in my interview with him, and it, it took off and became a bit of a meme on the Internet. So after this lengthy conversation, and it should be noted that he wasn't just talking to decoy Bailey, but he was also talking to another decoy named Brittany, and he had an equally as sexually charged conversation with her, too. It just happened that the date came together with Bailey before it did with Brittany. He shows up. Now, we know a little bit about Dupee before he arrives. We know that he used to work for UPS as a package handler. We learned that he was currently unemployed, and we also learned that he didn't have the ability to drive himself. So get this, he has his sister drop him off. Now, as far as we know, the sister has no idea that her brother John is going to meet a 13-year-old girl. All she knows is that he was going to hook up with someone who he had met online. She pulls up, he gets out, and we're watching all of this from the hidden cameras and the monitors. And he starts lurking about, checking out the house, and he makes his way up the sidewalk. She waits for a minute, then drives off. Hello? Hello. Hey, Boo, where are you? I'm outside. My, my sister just got back in the car. Oh, okay. Just go through the back door so nobody sees you. All right, I'm at the back door. Just go in. Okay. Okay. Bye. He comes in, and right away, I mean, we get creeped out with all these guys, but there was an extra creep factor with John Dupee. First of all, he's a skinny fellow, kind of ghostly looking, maybe about six feet tall. I guess about 170 pounds. And he's got kind of a Frankenstein-looking forehead. Bad haircut. Teeth aren't that great. Now, I'm not making fun of people just because they don't look great, but just giving you a little bit of a feeling as to what we saw when he walked in. 
And he's got a bag of stuff with him. And our on-site decoy, who is a college student at a nearby university studying theater, was great. She was 19 years old, but looked much younger. And she was very good at what she did. She was very valuable in the investigation. In fact, um, I think she should be a guest on a future episode of this podcast, which I'll make happen, I promise. So he comes in, this John Dupee. He said in the chat that he was 30. He was actually 40. And he comes around the corner with his bag and he goes right for the on-site decoy, arms wide open. Again, very much like Frankenstein in a way. And she wisely ducks and they reconfigure at the island in the kitchen there in Fairfield. And you can hear the nervous conversation. Hey, what'd you bring? Hmm? What did you bring? Presents. What do you got? Show me. Thank you. It's so nice to finally see you. This is crazy. Are you nervous? Yeah, I'm really nervous. Why? I don't I've never done this. Have you? No. So what do you want to do? A hug? I don't know. He acts like he's brought this girl upon whom he intends to pray, some great gift or something. He's very excited to show her. But all it is is a jug of Snapple iced tea, some chocolate, and some Cheetos. That's his big night. And there's some talk about what they're going to do. And he swings around for this big Frankenstein-like hug and the onside decoy ducks out of the room. Well, the minute she ducks out, I come in. And he's shocked. I mean, he looks at me and he can't figure out what's going on. And immediately he he's stammering. I mean, he's he's nervous. You can see the veins popping out of his his arms. He's so skinny. He's, he's sweating profusely. And we start into our conversation. And I ask him, you know, what his plan was. And this is the part where he gets into you know, just coming over to to watch football. Now, we've got a pretty long conversation with him. I'm not going to play it all, but I want you to hear how this conversation between the two of us starts. Hey, Boot. Hey. You see Claire in that store right there in front of us? What is your plan here tonight? Just hang out and watch football? Hang out and watch football with whom? With her. Who's her? With Bailey. Bailey. And do you know how old Bailey is? She's 14. 14? Mm-hmm. How old are you? 30. 30. And why would you at 30 think it would be okay to hang out with a 13-year-old girl home alone? We just hit it off, friends. You hit it off with a 13-year-old girl? Just We were just talking. Just talking? Mm-hmm. Well, now you're here. This is more than talk. Dupee, in spite of my continuing and somewhat withering cross-examination, I guess interrogation would be an appropriate term. Just won't give it up. I ask him, you see how this looks? How does that look? John, you tell me, how does it look? If you were me, what would you think? That I honestly made a mistake. That you made a mistake. Well, that's true. But you see how this looks? The chat, the appearance, the Cheetos, 
Absolutely. And he sort of admits that it doesn't look good, but he, he's going to stick with his story that he came there not really thinking that she was that young and that he had no intent of having a sexual liaison with this 13-year-old girl. There is no, I mean, well, what am I to make of this? Do you tell her, I would love to be the first guy to make you blank if you wanted me to, and I wanted to. Feel me inside you, baby. I, there was no intentions made by it. That shows clear intent. And then I confront him about talking to yet another girl. And how many times have you done this with somebody who's 13, 14 years old? Never. Never talked to another girl who said she was 13? No. Well, who's Brittany? Who's Brittany? That was the other girl you were talking to. What was this? Within the last few weeks. And then, of course, the excuse about just coming over to watch the football game, Steelers and Ravens. I know, but you just came to hang out. You know, I brought... What, get a hug? And watch football. Watch football? Yep. Who's playing tonight? Steelers and the Ravens. You should know that the Ravens actually won that game. It's a pretty good game, as I recall. But I don't think that's what he had on the agenda for that evening. He had talked both on the phone and in the chat very graphically about what he wanted to do to this little girl, how he wanted to be here first. And it certainly seemed to me that in spite of his suggesting otherwise, this wasn't his first time meeting somebody who was underaged online. More about this predator I've caught in a moment. The conversation took place on an app called Whisper, which was very popular right around the fall of 2015. It's still available, we checked, but not as popular, we think at least, when it comes to this sort of potential predatory contact. We see some others being used, at least as of a few months ago in our more recent investigation in Michigan. Anyway, Dupee continues to deny, deny, deny. And I get pretty aggressive with him. I would love to be the first guy to make you blank if you wanted me to, and I want you to feel me inside you, baby. What'd you mean by that? that? Sounds like sex to me. I was just playing with her, seeing... Just playing with her. Now, you talked about spending the night. Well, well you talked about having cannolis, a little dinner. Yeah. Sounds like you were going to have a special little night with your 13-year-old date. The... Interview goes on for probably 30 minutes or so. And finally, towards the end, it becomes clear that I've gotten just about everything out of him that I'm going to get. You tried to solicit a 13-year-old girl online using graphic sexual language. So what do you think should happen to you, John? You're in a bit of a fix here. I'm terribly sorry, sir. Finally, I tell John Dupee that he's free to leave. Now, he knows that whatever happens next isn't going to be good for him. I've identified myself. Well, there's something you need to do, and that is I'm Chris Hansen, and this is an investigation. As Dupee leaves, he actually looks behind a curtain we had set up to block where some of our 
monitors were in the area, the living room of the house where I was waiting. And he looks behind the curtain there to see what's there. And I continue to urge him, as does our security person, Ron Knight, to go towards the garage door where the police are waiting from Fairfield. It's almost like he's going to check two or three times to see who's there and what's behind the curtain and in the other room. Still, I don't understand exactly what he was doing. Maybe he was just buying time before he walked out. Or maybe he thought he would find something or see something. I don't know. But he did leave, walked into the garage, where he was met by the Fairfield PD. He surrendered without incident, didn't give him much of a hard time, was taken away to the Fairfield Police Headquarters, where he was again interrogated, this time by detectives. And he really didn't give it up that time either. Do you want her to feel you inside her? I mean, I know what that means to me. <laughs> Honestly, when I was talking to her, I mean, I, I was hoping that there was a chance that, you know, that she, it was just. He maintained the same story that he gave me. Ultimately, like the other men in this particular sting operation, Dupee was charged with a couple different crimes related to soliciting a minor online. And he finally pleaded guilty in court in Bridgeport, Connecticut. And here's something interesting about this particular case. When he was in court, he was actually jeered by people in the courtroom because they had figured out who he was and what he was being accused of, what he was pleading guilty to. And the judge actually in the case had to order the crowd to be quiet, to be orderly, because he was upset that people were so vocal in jeering this predator, this guy who was about to plead guilty. So he did. He got a suspended sentence, but did have to do between two and three years in prison. John Dupee did. And it's a really tragic story in terms of what happened to his family during that time. When he went away, he had a brother who actually won a lottery prize, not millions, but hit the lottery for, I think, tens of thousands. And his sister, the same sister who dropped him off at the sting house that night, was with that brother. And they got into a fatal auto crash at the very same exit ramp on I-95 that the sister had to get off of when she dropped her brother John off at the sting house. So she's with her other brother and he's driving. And apparently he had a record of drunk driving and other issues related to his license. And she had been warned to not let him drive, but he convinced her and she was in the car and this accident took place and both of them were tragically killed right on I-95 in Fairfield, Connecticut. Dupee served his time and got out of prison. As far as we know, he's never really worked again. He was unemployed at the time of his arrest when he surfaced in our sting operation. He 
never did much more than handle packages for both UPS and apparently for a time at the U.S. Postal Service. And he had to register as a convicted sex offender in the state of Connecticut. In 2020, he was listed as non-compliant, which means he didn't report as he was supposed to or didn't give a recent address on time. And most recently, he's been living in a homeless shelter in Bridgeport, Connecticut, which is not far from Fairfield, both in Fairfield County, actually. I'd like to hear from John Dupee. I'm sure it's a sad story of his life before and after his arrest and his notoriety from being caught in our predator sting, but I am still very curious as to what was going on in his mind. What made him think that this was okay to do and, and to put his family through all this? He has a son who will obviously not identify for his own privacy. I feel bad for him too. But as far as we know, he is homeless, unemployed, and a registered sex offender in Connecticut who will always be known for two things. One, hey boo, and two, wanting to come over and watch a Steelers-Ravens game with a 13-year-old girl named Bailey. I often mention that if people want to ask me a question, they can record an audio file and send it to the email, chris at predatorpodcast.com. And some of you have, and I've played some of them here on the podcast. One came in just in the past week that I thought was, was very interesting for a couple different reasons. It's from Jason Israel, who's a listener in Australia. And I'm going to play the audio question now, and then I'll answer it. Hi, Chris. Um, I'm a listener from uh, Australia. My question for you is, I guess, about the personal toll that these investigations have on you and the crew and, and I guess anyone really involved in the production of To Catch a Predator. Because obviously you would come upon some, you know, very um, dangerous people, some depraved people, and in some of the chats, and I guess, you know, when you get an insight into some of these people's minds, it, it's a very black space. And, you know, did that affect you? I guess how you saw other people? Did it affect your relationships? You hear a lot about, you know, policemen that are affected by jobs that they've, they've worked or scenes that they've gone to. And, and you were exposing yourself to that quite frequently. So I just wonder... Yeah, was that a problem for you? Thank you, mate. And thank you back, Jason, for that great question. It's interesting because obviously this sort of work does have an impact on me and the crew. And you do feel literally like you have to take a shower after one night of uh, interviewing these people. It also tends to get at you that after 17 years of doing this type of investigation. Guys are still willing to show up to have sex with a 12, 13, 14-year-old boy or girl. And you can, if you let yourself, adopt a pretty dark view <laughs> of not only the internet, but of humanity in general. 
I think we all have a pretty good way of coping with it. I think we all involved in these investigations from the law enforcement standpoint, from my team, me personally, realize that by doing this, we're creating a dialogue and an awareness that didn't exist before. And that's part of the reason why we do this podcast, to go back and look at these cases, to get kind of a deeper feel for what happened and who these guys are. And, and before I do one, I you know immerse myself in the, the chats again, and, and I review the interview I did with the Predator. And, and then we try to find out what's happened to the Predator since then. And, and as always, offer an opportunity for that person to come on this podcast and talk about what happened to them and why, and to show us, in fact, they've straightened their life out. In terms of relationships, Jason, you know, I really don't let it get in the way. You know, I tell the stories. I have a way of coping with it in my own fashion. And it really doesn't, at least for me, impact my personal relationships. I share the stories. Obviously, you know, the entire franchise has become iconic. And I was just in Los Angeles today, the day I'm recording this, on another project. And you know, people always stop me to talk about this, whether it's in LA or here in New York City or anywhere I'm at, even overseas. So we'll continue to do it. And I hope you continue to send me your questions and thoughts. And as always, you can reach me at chris at predatorpodcast.com. And before we go... I want to mention the passing of a predator I've caught, one we focused on in an earlier episode, Jeff Stacy, who surfaced in our investigation in Dark County, Ohio, Greenville, Ohio. You may remember Jeff, he had that squeaky voice, and he's the one who said, it's a question. Sadly, Jeff, who seemed to have maybe straightened out his life in the years since his arrest in Ohio, has died just recently. According to the medical examiner in Montgomery County, Ohio, Stacy passed away of a combination overdose and cardiac issues. Morphine, alprazolam, which is the generic version of Xanax, and a 50% blockage of an artery. I always have mixed emotions about this. I, I know there are people in the TCAP, Hanson versus Predator community who, you know, want nothing but bad things to come of the people who surface in these investigations. And I understand that. And, and there are some who probably deserve it. But I don't mention this in any gleeful way. I'm just telling you because I found out about it this week. So we will continue to monitor predators past and present. I'm Chris Hansen, and this is Predators I've Caught. <laughs>